Bon dimanche. Uh, bonjour à tous. Voici la question. Here's the question we ask every week. And we're going to cover a lot of scripture today. So I hope you are ready. And so here it is. Are you ready to study God's word today? Okay, I'm going to take that as a sign of enthusiasm, even though it was down about 50%. But this is the beginning of spring break, so maybe that's okay. We're just glad that you are here. And uh, today we continue our series called Relationships from Broken to Blessed. We've covered a lot of ground in the last month. And we're going to continue in through the month of March. Uh, next week, we have a little break with something special next Sunday that you're not going to want to mix. And then the next Sunday uh, after that, we'll continue with the series as we cover a lot more of these pieces to the puzzle of what the Bible says about our relationships. And so last week, we got into the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, if you have your Bible, you're welcome to find it last month, or I'm sorry, last week, we, uh, we went really through pretty much every chapter to see this recurring theme in the book of Philippians, but our main section was here in verse 14 and 15. Let's read it out loud in unison together, if you would. This is from the New International Version. Let's read it together. It says, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. And so we saw last week that as children of God, we are called to be different from the world around us in some ways. And that we are to be different than this, than this crooked and depraved generation in which we live. And it says right before that, that, that as children of God, it means that we need to become blameless and pure. And you remember that, that uh, the only way that that is made possible is through the shed blood of Jesus who died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. He is the only one who can wash us clean and make us blameless and pure. But once we receive him into our lives, there are also some choices that we need to make. There are some decisions we need to make. There are some changes things that we need to start doing and some things that we need to stop doing. And one of those things is at the very top of verse 14. He says, do everything without what? Do everything without what? Complaining. Complaining. Now, we talked last week about how that just seems impossible, right? Until you realize what complaining is that there's, that there's a difference, I think, in the Bible. I think in the Bible, there is a difference between a constructive critic versus a constant complainer. I think the Bible speaks of a difference between a constructive critic and a constant complainer. What is a, a complainer? Let me give you an example. Here's a, a glass half full. Actually, I guess it's a coffee mug half full, uh, but it has water in it. And uh, so what, is a, what does an optimist see? They see this and they say that the, the glass is half full, right? The optimist. What does the pessimist say? The pessimist looks and says that the glass is half 
empty. What does the complainer see? The complainer sees a glass that is slightly chipped, holding water that isn't cold enough, probably because it's tap water when I ask for bottled water, and wait, there's a smudge on the rim too, and there's a chip, which means that it probably wasn't cleaned properly, and I'm going to get some kind of virus. I, I, I should have gotten bottled water instead, but then it would have come in a plastic bottle, which is bad for the environment. I blame all the corporations, and I don't like the manager in this place anyway. I think I'll tweet it and put it on Instagram. And by the way, I don't like the weather today. It's too cold here in the winter and too hot in the summer. It's probably the mayor's fault and the city council too. I think I should send them an email this afternoon. <laughs> right? It's like the story in the Old Testament. The children of God in the desert were constantly complaining. And the Bible says that their leader, Moses, was so tired of the constant complaining that he was ready to quit his job and just leave them there in the desert. And, and every boss knows what it's like to be like Moses. Every parent knows what it's like to be Moses. Of course, you can't just quit your job and leave your kids. Every Teacher knows what it's like to be like Moses. <laughs> Sometimes every child knows what it's like, depending on their parents, to be like Moses. Because complaining is this weight that just constantly drags us down. Trevor Blake describes how neuroscientists have learned to measure brain activity when faced with complaining. The brain works more like a muscle than we thought. So if you are pinned in a corner for too long, listening to someone being negative, you are more likely to behave that way as well. Even worse, they have found that complaining can actually lower your intelligence. It diminishes your brain capacity. Research shows that exposure to 30 minutes more or more of negativity, including viewing such material on TV, actually peels away neurons in the brain's hippocampus. In other words, that's the part of your brain you need for problem solving. Basically, it turns your brain to mush. Does this explain a lot in our society today? Listen, listen folks, science is just now discovering what the Bible has said for thousands of years, complaining is draining, but joy comes from praising the Lord. Job, listen, or 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 says, Therefore I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. He says, I want people everywhere to do what? To, oh, come on now, help me out. Don't leave me alone here. I'm going to start complaining if you're not careful. That's not good for anybody. Every, he wants men everywhere to do what? Pray, lifting up what? without anger or disputing. Before we move on, let me show you something. Watch this. Whenever I find myself complaining about the small things, I say to myself, the following are all true stories. May 26, 2003, Evan Ralston was hiking. A boulder fell on his right hand. He waited four days. Then he amputated his own arm with a pocket knife. 
On New Year's Eve, a woman was bungee jumping in Zimbabwe. The cord broke. She then fell into a river and had to swim back to land in crocodile-infested waters with a broken collarbone. Claire Champlin was smashed in the face by a five-pound watermelon being propelled by a slingshot. Matthew Brobus was hit by a javelin. David Striegel was punched in the mouth by a kangaroo. The most amazing part of these stories is when asked about the experience, I heard they all said, I guess things could have been worse. So go ahead, tell me that you're having a bad day. Tell me about the traffic. Tell me about your boss. Tell me about the job you've been trying to quit for the past four years. Tell me the morning is a townhouse burning to the ground. Tell me the snooze button is a fire extinguisher. Tell me the alarm clock stole the keys to your smile, drove it into 7 a.m. and the crash totaled your happiness. Tell me, tell me, tell me how blessed are we to have tragedy so small it can fit on the tips of our tongues. When Evan lost his legs, he was speechless. When my cousin was assaulted, she didn't speak for 48 hours. When my uncle was murdered, we had to find a search party to find my father's voice. Most people have no idea that tragedy and silence often have the exact same address. So when your day is a museum of disappointments, hanging from events that were outside of your control, when you find yourself flailing in an ocean of why is this happening to me, when it feels like a guardian angel putting two-week notice two months ago and just decided not to tell you when it feels like God is a babysitter that's always on the phone when you get punched in the esophagus by a fistful of life remember that every year two million people die of dehydration so it doesn't matter if the glass is half full or half empty there's water in the cup sometimes you just gotta drink it and stop complaining you see you see muscle Muscle is created by repeatedly lifting things that have been designed to weigh us down. So when your shoulders feel heavy, you got to stand up straight. You got to lift your chin. You got to call it exercise. Remember that life is a gym membership with a really complicated cancellation policy. Remember that you will survive. Remember things could be worse. Remember we are never given anything that we can't handle when the world crumbles around you. Sometimes you got to look at the wreckage and then build a new one out of all the pieces that are still here. Remember that you are still here. The human heart, it beats approximately 4,000 times per hour and each pulse and, and each throb and, and each palpitation is a trophy engraved with the words, you are still alive. You. You are still alive. We are still alive. Let's act like it. And so I told you last week that today we were going to come back and dig into this idea of criticism, how to receive it appropriately, and how to give it appropriately. And let's start by recognizing that criticism can actually be a source of blessing in your life. Let me say that again. Criticism can actually be a source of blessing in our lives. Job uh, chapter 5, verse 17 and 18 says, Blessed is the man whom God corrects. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty, for he wounds, but he also binds up. He injures, but his hands also heal. And so, when you are being corrected and disciplined by God, it does not always feel like a blessing, does it? 
But the problem is, without that in our lives, then we just keep doing the same destructive things over and over and over again. And so whether it feels like it or not, it is in fact a blessing when God points out areas in our lives that need to change, okay? Good, I think we agree, that's what the Bible says, but here's where it gets hard. This is the tough part. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes, the way that God reveals those areas in our lives is through the criticism of other people. Ooh, we, di we didn't want to hear that when we came to church today, did we? Sometimes the way that God reveals these things in our lives is through the criticism of others. Now, that's a little harder, but it's true. And because of that, number one, even if the criticism seems unfair, always look for a seed of truth. You remember the old English expression, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. What does that mean? In other words, no matter how ridiculous the criticism, no matter how crazy the accusation, no, no matter how unfounded, even still, there might be just a little something, just a tiny, tiny little seed of truth in something that was said. Now, it's one thing to receive criticism from someone that you respect, someone that you honor, and, uh, and you, you say, wow, you know, I guess if they say it, then I probably ought to listen. But it is so much harder to receive criticism from someone you don't like, right? Someone who you don't respect, someone who seems ridiculous and, and foolish. It's, it, it feels like their criticism does not deserve the time of day. But never forget, even if you don't like the person, there may be some truth in what they have to say. Now, it might not be much, don't get me wrong. It might be like 99% lie and only 1% truth. But don't reject the message just because you don't like the messenger, right? Number two, don't encourage negative behavior. Uh, some people think that if they just, you know, fuss and holler and, and, and throw a hissy fit and, and act out and get all mad, that people will give them what they want. And you have to realize, feel sorry for those people because maybe that is how they were raised. Sometimes, you know, if a kid throws a hissy fit, then they get what they want. If they act out in a store, then mom and dad will buy them candy. And so, so they have learned that negative behavior is the way to get what you want. And you know what? They're right many times because many people will not stand up to them. And so they keep doing it. But Isaiah 51 verse 7 says, Hear me, you who know what is right, you people who have my law in your hearts, do not fear the reproach of men or be terrified by their insults. The Bible says, don't be afraid of those people. Don't let them roll over you and take advantage of you. I was talking with a pastor who, who, uh, who, was, who was just saying to me about how you know, there was somebody in the church who had become a small group leader, and they were, uh, they were not following through on their, their, their leadership commitments that they had made to the church, and, and, uh, and they were, you know, I, I didn't know any of the people involved. It was some church that I, I don't have any affiliation with, but we were talking about it, and, and, and 
And, I, and he said, I'm so afraid about what this is going to do to the church because he's causing all of these problems. And I know that if we confront him on it, then he's just going to get angry and start to get other people riled up and probably leave the church and take people with him. And I said, that's the very reason that you have to confront it. Because the longer you let it go, the more that toxicity begins to defeat the mission of the church. And so you cannot allow someone to continue in that negative, manipulative behavior without confronting them. And we're going to talk in just a few minutes about how to do that. But number one, look for truth in the criticism. Remember, maybe there's a seed of truth, even if it comes from a foolish source. Number two, if they're using negative behavior to manipulate, don't bow down to that. And then number three, here's number three, humbly receive any truth in the criticism, then get back to doing what you know is right. Anybody in a leadership position knows uh, what, what I'm talking about when I say that there are times that I get tired, there are times when I have a bad day or I'm going through a difficult season, and someone will send me a, a note, send me a letter, send me an email with, with criticism of whatever form or fashion, and it hits me on a bad day where maybe some days I'd be fine with it, and, and I just get it, and I'm like, oh, fine. I might as well just quit. Let them be the pastor if they think they can do a better job, which is not a productive response, <laughs> let me just admit. But how many of you know what I'm talking about? You've had days like that, right? When it just comes in and you're like, oh, I just cannot handle this right now. But listen, if you know that you are doing what God has called you to do, don't let a few comments get you off track. Back when the Panama Canal was being built, there was a lot of criticism about the project. And a New York Times reporter went to interview the general who had been put in charge of the construction of the Panama Canal. And the reporter said to the general, what is your response? What do you say to those who criticize you? And he says, here's my response. I will answer by building the Panama Canal. <laughs> Instead of fighting back, I will do what I know I'm supposed to do. And so again, Philippians 2, verse 14 and 15. Let's read it out loud together. It says, I, I think after these last two weeks, we should have this almost memorized, right? Let's do it again. It says, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. In other words, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there should be something different about you in this negative world in which we live where everybody is pessimistic and critical, that when people out there see someone who has the light of Jesus, someone who is loving and kind and generous, someone who has the joy of the Lord in their life, all of a sudden they know it's because that you are shining like a star in the universe as you hold out this word of life. Why? Because of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Okay, now, 
Finally, we get into the nitty-gritty of what we said we were going to talk about. Criticism. Last week, uh, or so far, we've talked about how to receive it. Now, let's talk about how to give it. And some of you were like, oh, yeah, baby, this is the part I've been waiting for. <laughs> I'm ready to let people have it. Okay, well, or maybe you're the opposite. Maybe you're afraid to confront people. Well, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. And what I'm about to show you should be a very, very familiar passage for every Christian. Some people don't realize that Jesus actually gives specific instructions on how to confront somebody, especially another believer, uh, in a situation like this. And so uh, let, let's look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 17. In fact, we even have that just kind of as a code word a, long a lot of times among Christian leaders or, or uh, you know, with our pastors, and, and we'll say, hey, Remember, Matthew 18, Matthew 18, what are we referring to? We're referring to the words of Jesus when he says, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Just between the two of you, if he listens to you, you have won your brother over. And so here's the first step. Jesus says when somebody is out of line, when somebody has done something offensive, maybe somebody's hurt your feelings, whatever it is, Jesus says here's what you need to do. First, you need to go and tell all the people in your small group. And then you need to go and tell everybody at work. And then you need to be sure to post it on social media as well. Is that what Jesus says? No. Jesus, Jesus says, to do the opposite of what our natural tendency is to do. He says, don't go out there talking about them. Don't go around complaining about them. Go directly to that person. But what if they don't listen? Well, let's pick up with verse 16. He says, but if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So Jesus says, try again, and this time bring someone else who has the same concern, someone who has also observed this sin. But if they still don't care, verse 17, he says, if, if they refuse to listen to them, tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So Jesus says at some point, if they continue to persist in their sin. They continue to have no desire to get right with God. If they don't even care about the authority of the church that God has placed in their life, you say, you know what? We love you, but we cannot have you identifying with this church because you're doing more harm than good. And please don't misunderstand. We're not talking here about being perfect as if somehow, you know, if you don't meet our standards, we kick people out. Listen, it doesn't mean that. Here's what it means. If we are truly going to seek after Christ and become a God-centered community, then we need to start acting and doing what Jesus says rather than the way the world does things. I, I, I'll give you one more chance. We ought to do things Jesus' way more than the way the world does things. Everybody, come on, believe in the Word of God? Okay, okay, good stuff. And so that's the first priority. Don't go talking about people behind their backs. If you've got an issue with somebody, go directly to that person. Can I just stop and say, I think most of our relationship problems and toxicity 
would stop if we just did this, what Jesus says, right? This would take care of a lot of the issues. But, but how do you know when you should confront someone and when should you just let something go? Let me suggest four questions to ask before you go and criticize someone or have this conversation. Before you speak or maybe you might write it as well. I'm not recommending writing your criticism though. Usually face-to-face conversations are 10 times better. Try to avoid just writing, if at all possible. But before I speak, ask first question, number one, is it true? Whenever you get up, uh, upset at someone, here's what you need to remember. You do not have all the facts. Let me say it again in a different way. You don't know the whole story. And you might say, yes, Joel, I know exactly what happened. I know exactly why they did it. I know all about it. That's why I'm upset. No, 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 no. You do not. You do not. Until you talk with the person and hear it from their perspective, you only know part of the story. And half the time when we get upset, it's because we've been listening to gossip, half-truths, innuendo, and misunderstandings. And so we need to give people the benefit of the doubt instead of assuming the worst, assume the best until proven otherwise. And so that's why we go, like Jesus said, directly to the person. And we don't go in and say, well, I'm here to tell you why you're wrong. Here are all the things you've done. And I'm here to set you straight. No, 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 no. We go in and say, you know what? Here's what I heard or here's what I perceived. Here's what what it looked like to me But I know that there is the possibility, there is the likelihood that I don't have the whole story. I know that I don't don't know it from your perspective. And so because I love you, because I respect you, I'm going to come to you and ask you so that we can have a conversation about it. Instead of just assuming the negative, I'm going to give you the the benefit of the doubt, and let's start from the positive. And right there, when we go into the, into the conversation, if we give person, a person the benefit of the doubt rather than going in assuming that we know everything and how wrong they are, right there, we are putting down people's defenses. Because when we go in guns a-blazing, people get defensive. They either fight or flight, right? They either attack back or they recede. The only way to get people to lower their defenses is to not go in assuming that they're wrong. Number one, is it true? Number two, is it necessary? Is what I'm about to say really necessary? Is there a good reason for me to bring this up? There's a scripture where in the New Testament, it says that if you come to the altar to make a request to God, and you have something at odds in a relationship with someone else, First, you need to go and make it right with that person, and then you can come back and make your request to God. That's how serious this is. But there are times when I might not have to go and confront the person if I realize, you know what, this is probably just my problem, and I should probably just let it go. And I I think here's the key to necessity. If I can't let it go, then I have to go to the person. Hear me now. If you can't let it go and and account it for grace and not hold it against the person any longer, 
If you do not go to them to talk with them about it and eventually try to make things right, then now it's no longer their fault. Now it's your fault. And so it is necessary to go to them unless you realize, you know what, this is just something that I can account for grace and I will not hold it against them. Number three, here's the third question. Is it loving? Am I thinking about this person with a heart of love? Here's a powerful question. Here's the question. Which am I more concerned about, this problem or their soul? Am I in my anger, in my, in my hurt, in my pain? Am I more concerned about getting at this person and being right? Or am I more concerned about the spiritual condition of this person's heart? Because if in my attempt to make it right, I crush the person's soul, that has not been productive. And so I always need to ask first, do I see this person through the eyes of Jesus? And until I can say yes, then I cannot yet be ready to go and have this conversation. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 through 2 Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, then I'm nothing. Fourth question, is it helpful? Because anybody can criticize and complain and most people do. <laughs> but God has called me to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. God has called me to help build up my brothers and sisters, not to tear them down. Ephesians 4, 29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So before you criticize, remember, Jesus says first, don't go complaining about them to everybody. Go directly to that person. And before you do, answer these four questions. Number one, is it true? Remember, I don't have the full story. And I'm wrong if I assume that I do. Number two, is it necessary? Number three, is it loving? Do I see this person with the eyes of Jesus? Until I do, Look at them with the compassion of Jesus that I'm not ready to have this conversation yet. And number four, is it helpful? Am I actually willing to be part of the solution? Could we stand together? And so, right now, as, as I've been talking, I would imagine in a room with this many people and all the people who are watching online right now, that there are a whole bunch of us who have someone who comes to mind. There's an issue right now, and, and we know that we need to deal with it, Somebody's done something wrong or somebody's hurt our feelings and we're holding it against them and we need to go directly to that person and we're trying to figure out, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want for me to respond? 
And so what I would like to ask is if you would allow me the privilege of praying for you over that situation. Believe me, I know what that burden is like. I've had to do this hundreds, if not thousands of times. Follow these steps. And so could we just spend a moment in the presence of God and if you would just listen to his voice speaking to you as he reminds you how much he loves you, how much he cares about you, and how he wants to strengthen you by the power of his spirit. And so, Heavenly Father, we come to you now. And, and we know, God, that what we have talked about today, Lord, this is real stuff that we deal with every single day of our lives. And we confess, Lord, there are many times when we have gotten this wrong. So many times that I have gotten this wrong. But Lord, we want to get things right. We want to honor you in our relationships. We want to shine like stars in the universe as we hold on to your word of life. And so, Lord, I pray for these, your servants, whatever the situation is that comes to mind right now, maybe it's something that they'll have to deal with this week or in the coming year. Lord, may the words of Jesus in Matthew 18 take root in our hearts. May we never forget this day and what you've taught us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give wisdom to your servants today. Lord, give them a sense of readiness. Lord, uh, Father, I know how many times I've known what I needed to do, but I didn't know when. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give your servants a knowledge, a peace in their heart of when the right time is to confront this situation or have this conversation. And that they would just know, maybe there'll be a certain day that they get up, they'll be in the shower or drinking their coffee or driving to work, and your spirit will speak to them loud and clear, this is the day, this is the time. And Lord, up until that moment that you have prepared, Lord, I, I, I pray that, that each and every person here, you would teach us by your word that we would not forget this truth as we stand out from this crooked and depraved generation in which we live, as Philippians 2 says, that we would be different, that we would be blameless and pure and characterized by joy rather than complaining for your glory, for the honor of your name, and for the advancement of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. And if you agree together, would you say amen? Amen. amen. Well, folks, as we get ready to head out into the into the world and put all this into practice. This is very practical stuff. 
I want to remind you, uh, our prayer team will be down front here, and we would love to invite you to come forward for prayer here at the end of the service. And I promise, please don't leave yet. I've got a blessing for you that you're not going to want to miss in Hebrew. And so as we, as we prepare to go out into this world, and if you would like to come and, and, uh, and receive prayer for any of the things that we've talked about or anything in your lives, we have our prayer team down here ready for you today. But next week, I'm not going to be here. Next week, I will be praying for you in Jerusalem. And so I thought that as our team heads for Israel uh, this week, that maybe as we get ready to do our concluding message, uh, I could do the benedictory baruch, which means blessing in Hebrew, uh, which is the Shema, the, uh, when Jesus was asked, what is the most important commandment? And he quoted the Shema from the Old Testament in Hebrew, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad, Vehefta et Adonai which means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And how do we do this? How does this live out through us into the world? Here it is, every Sunday. This is our traditional Baruch. <laughs> it is God's love in us to the world. Why? Because love changes everything. Parce que l'amour change tout. Merci d'être venu. We love you guys. We'll see you this week.